Greetings, I'm John Haspel. Matt Branham and I founded Cross River Meditation Center in 2012. The following is a Dhamma class recording from our center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. Enjoy your development of the Buddha's Dhamma. All right, so we're at class um, 32, I think, of our 35 class review of jhana. Um, this sutta is one of my favorites, uh, but it really is. It's a little bit different where they, they, you'll see the uh, Siddhartha's really playful side and almost a little bit of a zinger. He, he's giving Pukasati here. Uh, and it's describing, uh, and the reason why it's in the, the jhana review, it's describing what every human being is, always will be, and can never, never become more of this. We can have different experiences and achieve some things in our, in our life, but no matter what we do in our life, we will always remain a six-propertied person. The four elements, earth, wind, fire, water. The fifth element or property, the space property. We need a, we need a space property will be described here. And the sixth property of our consciousness or our thinking that animates the other properties. Um, and if you think about it just a little bit, this was such a one of those eye-opening uh, suttas when I first came across it. Um, when you think about how simple and direct and obvious this is, but again, it took an awakened human being to actually figure out and say, hey, you know, this, and it's just 2,600 years ago, right? No science. That... These six properties are what makes up every human being. It's what makes me up. No matter what I do, no matter what I achieve, no matter what I tell you I am, or hope you think I am, I can never be more than these six properties. And it also allows for truth sympathy for others. Because if I understand this is all that I am and I see other people struggling in many different ways and in many different situations with their own misunderstanding of who and what they are, you can have true sympathy for it because this brings humanity down to its most basic, but I would say glorious level. Because even though we're only made of these six properties, look at the things that, that we can do as human beings as we animate these six properties properly. The Datu Vibhanga Sutta, an analysis of the six human properties by the Buddha. On one occasion, the Buddha was wandering among the Magadhams. He entered Rajagaha and went to the potter Bhagava. He asked Bhagava, <clears throat> if it is no inconvenience for you, friend, I will stay for one night in your shed. It is no inconvenience for me, but the wanderer Pukasati has already taken up residence there. If you, he gives you his permission, you may stay there as you like. Pukasati, a fellow Sakyan, the Sakyan was just the, the clan that the Buddha was a part of there in northern India. Pukasati, a fellow Sakyan, had gone forth into homelessness and was developing the Buddha's Dhamma. The Buddha approached Pukasati and asked him if he could stay one night in his shed. Pukasata replied, this shed is roomy, my friend. Stay as you like. <coughs> Excuse me. The Buddha entered the shed and sat on a pile of leaves and grass. 
folding his leg cross his legs crosswise and holding his body erect he set mindfulness to the floor meaning on his breath and began jhana pukasati joined him for in meditation for most of the evening <coughs> as morning approached the buddha had the thought how inspiring pukasati behaves let me question him on his understanding Venerable Pukasati, out of dedication to whom have you gone forth? Who is your teacher and whose Dhamma are you practicing? Well, my teacher is Gotama the Contemplative, a Sakyan son. Obviously, he doesn't know who he's talking to. He is known far and wide as a Buddha, a rightly self-awakened one, who is consummate in clear knowing and of pure conduct. He is an expert of worldly affairs and the unsurpassed teacher of those fit to be taught. I have gone forth with dedication to him as my teacher, and it is his dharma that I am practicing. Friend Pukasati, where is the Buddha staying, staying now? Wanderer, I have heard that the Buddha is in Savati. Have you met the Buddha? Would you recognize him? No, I have never met the Buddha, and I would not recognize him. There's a few things going on here. One is, Somebody who is so full of themselves as the great savior of the world might say, don't you know who you're, who's in front of you? I am the grand, what, how does the Wizard of Oz say it? But he just goes along with it. Just goes play, playing with Pukasati a little bit, but to make a point. The Buddha understood Pukasati's devotion without identifying himself. He said to Pukasati, I will teach you the Dhamma, friend. Listen and pay close attention as I speak. The Buddha says a person has six properties, six media of sensory conduct, contact, leading to 18 distinct considerations. Furthermore, a well-focused Dharma practitioner establishes four wise determinations. Having established these four wise determinations, this one has still the distraction of fabrication, fabricated speculation and supposition. When the distraction of fabricated speculation and supposition has stilled, this one is said to be a sage at peace. A well-focused Dharma practitioner should not neglect wise discernment, should always guard the truth, meaning the four noble truths, should always be devoted to unbinding and train their minds only for calm. This is my summary and analysis of the six properties the earth property, the liquid property, the fire property, the wind property, the space property, and the consciousness property. A person has these six properties. Furthermore, a person has six media of sensory contact. In some other suttas, the Buddha even gives a consciousness to each one of these senses. The eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the intellect. A person has these six media of sensory contact, also known as a sixth sense base. Furthermore, a person has 18 considerations, again, based on these six uh, senses. Furthermore, a person has 18 considerations. On seeing form with the eye, one considers form as a basis for pleasure, or form as a basis for disappointment, or form as a basis for equanimity, meaning just seeing form as form without attaching anything to it. 
On hearing sound with the ear, one considers sound as a basis for pleasure or sound as a basis for disappointment or sound as a basis for equanimity. On smelling an aroma with a nose, one considers aroma as a basis for pleasure or aroma as a basis for disappointment or aroma as a basis for equanimity. On tasting flavor with a tongue, one considers taste as a basis for pleasure or taste as a basis for disappointment or taste as a basis for equanimity. On feeling a tactile sensation with the, with the body, one considers feeling as a basis for pleasure or feeling as a basis for disappointment or feeling as a basis for equanimity. On cognizing an idea with the intellect, one considers the idea as a basis for pleasure or the idea as a basis for disappointment or the idea as a basis for equanimity. This last section on the intellect really describes how we get caught up in our head, uh, creating that feedback loop that the Buddha described uh, just prior to his awakening or the choice to not going after pleasure and in in abandoning or avoiding disappointment, greed and aversion and just let your mind rest in equanimity. Without making those choices, without making things personal, that's what it means. If, we, if we're using our senses to go after pleasure or avoid something, we're stuck in eye-making. And it doesn't mean that we stop living our life, but it does mean that life will stop dictating its terms to us. We'll be in control of our mind. And we'll be using our senses properly, right? Not for continued eye making, not to be always taking things off the buffet table for me, but just to be present for what's arising in this moment, being a human being. The Buddha continues, these are the six considerations that are conducive to pleasure, six considerations that are conducive to disappointment, Right? He's bringing this down a little bit. There's a lot of words here, but he's bringing it down. There's just these six considerations. And six con considerations that are conducive to equanimity. A person has these 18 considerations. It sounds like a lot when you first hear it. It's a rather long list. But when you think about the choices that you have in, in your life, it's just these 18 that you're really making. Did you, did you get it? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just these 18 that we're making. And it's always based on this. It's always based on what do I want? What am I trying to avoid? Or what am I trying to experience? I'm trying, what am I experiencing? What am I present for? And it doesn't mean you might come across the greatest piece of apple pie you ever had and that you shouldn't enjoy it. Yes, you should. But without the need to need more than you've been given or to make it better, Give me that recipe I want to improve on. Just to be present with it. And each and every piece of apple pie you get is just the same. It's just life unfolding. As soon as we put specialness on anything, especially an idea, right? It's, it's our ideas, it's our thoughts about ourselves that really keep us going. As soon as I attach a specialness to any of these, again, especially an idea, I've lost my mind. But we know how to get it back. 
by understanding what constitutes a human being. That's why this sutta is so important. That's why I included it in the jhana review. Now we're at towards the end of the jhana review. We've learned how to deepen our concentration. Now we can look at ourselves realistically and look at yourself. See if there's anything more than, than, than these things are. It doesn't mean that you might achieve great things in your life. I don't know why I, and I said that Nelson Mandela came into that <laughs> to achieve great things. Um, but you don't have to achieve great things. It's up to you. But you're trying to achieve great things to make sure, to make you feel better about yourself or make the world feel better about you. Again, you're, you're lost. You're, you're only creating stress for yourselves. But if everything is a basis for equanimity, which it is, each and every moment of our life holds the basis for equanimity. When I say that this moment is the only moment we can practice a Dhamma, that's what I'm talking about. Each moment holds the potential to go this way or that way, to continue eye-making or to rest in equanimity, to rest in calm. Furthermore, a Dhamma has... A Dharma practitioner has four determinations. The determination for discernment. We have to determine. We have to make that decision. The determination to the truth. Do we really want to chase after the truth? For a noble truth? Or do we want to continue to live a fabrication? Do we really want to continue to live a lie? To not understand that we're a six-property person. This is what I am as a human being. And when we really understand that, it makes every moment poignant and meaningful. The determination for relinquishment. I want to let go of all these fabricated views I have of myself. And I do, and I did. But we have to understand why, right? That's why the, the Dharma practice, the Eightfold Path is here, so we understand why are we doing things? Why are we doing something that in many instances seems to be counter to how the whole world is supposed to be. And maybe even how we think we're supposed to be in the world. A lot of what the Buddha teaches, a lot of what we practice, seems to contradict that, doesn't it? And it does, it's supposed to. The Buddha was the most radical thinker of his time and I think of all time. But what does it do? It teaches us what it does. It means to be a human being. And it makes each and every moment meaningful. And the fourth is the determination for calm. So these four, this is what we should be determined in, in each and every moment of our life. Discernment, the truth, relinquishment, letting go of fabricated views, wrong views, and for calm. A wise Dhamma practitioner has these four determinations. I hope Cody can hear me. Let's give Cody a second to come in. Or two. Yeah.
I think he's coming out. We have these four determinations for discernment, for the truth, for letting go of fabricated views, for relinquishment, for calm. The Buddha says a wise Dharma practitioner has these four determinations. A Dharma practitioner should not neglect discernment, should always guard the truth, be devoted to relinquishment, and train only for calm. And how does one not neglect discernment? through mindfulness of these six properties. And what is the earth property? The earth property can be internal or external. The internal earth property is anything within oneself that is hard, solid, and sustained by craving. Head, hair, body, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, tendons, bones, marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, membrane, spleen, lungs, intestines, contents of the stomach, feces, and anything else internal within oneself that's hard, solid, and sustained by craving. This is called the internal earth property. Now, this is important. Both the internal earth property and the external earth property are simply the earth property. So what's an external earth property? Anything that we project outside, even an image of ourself, is still just the earth property. Everything that is occurring in my life, in our lives, is occurring in our thoughts. Now, physics is arguing over whether there's any actual solidity to the physical world, and I don't think we'll ever figure that one out. But here we're, we're learning what we are within all of this. You know, and all the, the great mysteries of the universe. What are we? We're a six-property person. The Buddha goes through this long list because we don't even understand, most of us, what this is. This thing is animated at birth, at that first birth. And upon death, these six properties all vanish. If left unattended, there'll be nothing left rather quickly. Even if we try to embalm or mummify, the body will still degrade. It wants to return to nothing. So what's the great lesson there? The great lesson is, this is the moment I'm alive. Let me be present for it. And nothing else really matters. All the other things that we might do with our lives, and hopefully they're wonderful things. We should, you know, there's a concert coming up that's really wonderful. We should all go to it. There's a lot of things that we can do that are, are wonderful um, engagements. But none of it really matters if we can't be present for it. The Buddha continues. This is how the earth property should be seen by one with right discernment. 
this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. This is not myself. So whenever we're caught up in a fabrication, whenever we feel tension, remind yourself, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I'm made of. This is not myself. And then the, then the question might be, okay, what am I? A six-property person. And nothing changes that. No matter what happens in the world, nothing can change that six-property person. You can lock a person up for the rest of their life, still a six-property person. You could become emperor of the world, and you're still just a six-property person. When one sees this as, as it has come to be with right discernment, one becomes disenchanted with the earth property, and through lack of sustenance, the earth property fades from the mind. We no longer need to be something. And what is a liquid property? I'm going to go through the rest of these rather quickly. And what is the liquid property? The liquid property can be internal or external. The internal liquid property is anything belonging to oneself that is liquid water and sustained by craving. And there's a long list of that that, that you all read this past week. And it, it just says the same thing, all the, all the liquid parts in the body. This is how the liquid property should be seen by one with right discernment. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. This is not myself. When one sees this as it has come to be with right discernment, one becomes disenchanted with the liquid property, and through lack of sustenance, the liquid property fades from the mind. And what is the fire property? The fire property can be internal or external. The internal fire property is anything belonging to oneself that is fire, fiery, and sustained by craving, etc., etc., etc. This is how the fire property should be seen by one with right discernment. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. This is not myself. So no matter how angry I am, that fire property is, and I, I'm righteous in my anger. How could that be happening? How could this be happening? This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. It depersonalizes what we're making so personal in our minds, doesn't it? When we simply return to this knowledge, profound knowledge that I'm a six-property person. Why am I so upset? What What is so upsetting to me is not, cannot change this. Nothing can change what I am as a human being. I can. You know, I can do a lot of damage to that six-property person by keeping it diluted for my entire life. Or I can wake up. Uh, the wind property is, is treated the same way. Um, the, the space property. What is a space property? The space property can be internal or external. The internal space property is anything belonging to oneself that is space, spatial, and sustained by craving. So, you know, our, our, our mouth and our throat and the, the, whatever this stuff is it's called that goes down here. And our lungs, you know, those are all space property. If there wasn't such a, a thing, there could be no life, right? Every everything in our body needs space in, in order to in order to be in, right? And that that sixth property that we're coming to is what animates this. Anything that is space, spatial, and sustained by crazy, 
The internal space, space property is the holes of the ears and nostrils, the mouth, the throat passage, whereby what is eaten, drunk, consumed, and tasted gets swallowed and where it collects and whereby is it, is it is excreted from the body or anything else internal within oneself that is space, spatial, and sustained by craving. This is called the internal space property. Both the internal space, internal and external space property are simply the space property. Again, the Buddha is continually saying there's nothing outside yourself. It's just this. This is what you are. This is how the space property should be seen by one with right discernment. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. This is not myself. When one sees this as it has come to be with right discernment, one becomes disenchanted with the space property. And through lack of sustenance, the space property fades from the mind. And what is the consciousness property? Consciousness free of fabrication remains pure and bright. <coughs> what is perceived by consciousness? One perceives pleasure, one perceives pain, one perceives neither pleasure nor pain. Independence on sensory contact that is to be felt by pleasure, there arises a feeling of pleasure. So we first determine what's going to be pleasurable to us. Sometimes it's what we've learned from growing up, eating a nice piece of apple pie. But a lot of times it was what we what we expect and in our mind start anticipating what should be. Independence on sensory contact that is to be felt, to be felt as pleasure, there arises a feeling of pleasure. It's up to me. <clears throat> pleasure is in my mind. It's a fabrication. It doesn't, there's a difference between pleasure and using the senses for enjoyment. Pleasure is rooted in sensory indulgence in this sense. One perceives, I am sensing a feeling of pleasure. Independence on sensory contact that is to be felt as pain, there arises a feeling of pain. One perceives, I am sensing a feeling of pain. Independence on sensory contact that is to be felt as neither pleasure nor pain, there arises a feeling of neither pleasure nor pain and ambiguously. One perceives I am sensing neither pleasure nor pain. Through refined mindfulness, the Buddha says, one understands that with the cessation, in parentheses, self-identification, of that very sensory contact, the feeling of pleasure has arisen independently of that contact. Look at him here. What is to be felt as pleasure is still, it's still through restraint and lack of sustenance. Through refined mindfulness, one understands that with the cessation, again in parentheses, of self-identification of that very sensory contact, the feeling of pain has arisen independently of that contact. What is to be felt as pain ceases, it's still. Through refined mindfulness, one understands that with the cessation excuse me, of that very sensory contact, the feeling of neither pleasure nor pain has arisen independently of that contact. What is to be felt as neither pleasure nor pain ceases, it's still. So this goes back to the six determin the 18 determinations. 
And it's, it's my choice in each and every moment, without the Dhamma, there really is no choice, but it's my choice in each and every moment how I'm going to experience it. Resting in equanimity or resting in something that is creating conflict in my mind. The Buddha then says, just as when two sticks are brought together and agitated, heat and fire are born dependent on that contact and agitation. Right? It doesn't just happen. We have, to, we have to agitate to make fire. We have to agitate ourselves. When the sticks are separated and the agitation ceases, heat subsides and fire is extinguished. In the same manner, an agitated mind, lacking concentration, independence on contact, will feel feelings of pleasure or feelings of pain or feelings of neither pleasure nor pain. That's describing a person who doesn't have control of their mind. Excuse me. Well, the words in this. A wise Dharma practitioner understands that with the cessation, again, parentheses, of self-referential sensory contact, self-referential is in parentheses, sensory contact, feelings of pleasure or pain or neither pleasure nor pain or still. That doesn't mean, again, that we're not feeling what's occurring in our life. It just means that we're not using our feelings, right? Four foundations of life and the feelings arising and passing away. Feelings that in this moment seem real are also arising and passing away. They're impermanent. And none of it can stick to a six-property person. These six properties are like Teflon. Nothing sticks to them. That's good. Buddha continues. Just beautiful words. Now there remains only a mind established in equanimity, luminous, pure, supple, and spacious. Spacious. Just as if a skillful goldsmith were to take raw gold and through skillful, skillful effort transforms this raw gold into a refined and flawless ornament, malleable and luminous. That's what we're doing for ourselves, by the way. The gold will now suit the goldsmith's purpose. We'll suit our own purpose to be present for our own life with a calm mind. In the same manner, one whose mind is established in equanimity, luminous, pure, supple and spacious, knows that if I were to direct my thinking toward non-physical dimensions, of infinite consciousness or infinite space or infinite emptiness or nothingness or the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. This is common during the Buddhist time and still common in a lot of practices today. I would know these as fabricated. That's so important because a lot of, not, not to bash modern Buddhism, but a lot of modern Buddhism resolves in, in these non-physical realms where the point is to, to somehow get to these non-physical realms after death. And the Buddha says they're all fabricated. Know these as all fabricated. A wise Dhamma practitioner does not fabricate or mentally construct for the sake of self-establishment in this physical realm or any fabricated or imaginary non-physical realm. <coughs> Fabrications abandoned. This one is not sustained through craving. Fabrications abandoned. Remember how dependent origination begins? From ignorance of four noble truths come fabrications. We're right back to the beginning of this whole situation, the whole problem.
A wise Dharma practitioner does not fabricate or mentally construct for the sake of self-establishment. In this fabricated realm or any other fabricated realm, non-physical realm. Fabrication is abandoned. This one is not sustained through craving. I, I didn't forget that I read that. I just want to say it again for emphasis. This one is released from clinging to anything in the world. This one is no longer agitated. Their mind is calm and well concentrated. This one knows their mind is calm and well concentrated <clears throat> by understanding that I'm a six property person and nothing more. And I don't have to be anything more. This one knows birth is now ended. Not, we're not talking about physical birth. Birth is now ended. There's nothing left that the Buddha would say it this way. There's nothing left within me to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance. The possibility of giving birth to another moment that would be rooted in ignorance is now ended. Birth is now ended. A life well integrated with the Eightfold Path has been lived. My task is complete. The task of awakening, gaining full human maturity. There is nothing further in this world meaning there's nothing more important and there's nothing beyond this, beyond awakening. What could there be? Friend Pukasati, when sensing a feeling of pleasure, understand it as impersonal and as such impermanent. Understanding thus, craving and clinging vanish. By just understanding this, what we truly are. Likewise, when sensing a feeling of pain or sensing a feeling of neither pleasure nor pain, Understand these feelings as impersonal and as such impermanent. Understanding thus, craving and clinging vanish. Understanding brings the awareness that pleasure, pain, and neither pleasure nor pain are impersonal and as such impermanent and are not craved after or self-identified with. They're just aspects of life. When feeling pleasure, pain, or neither, or neither pleasure nor pain, a wise Dharma practitioner remains disjoined, disjoined from these feelings. This one understands feelings in the body are limited to this body, limited to this body. They're not affecting anything else. It's just here that it's occurring. This one understands feelings limited to human life are limited to human life. This one understands that with the ending of life and the breakup of the body, that all that is experienced and not joined to will grow, grow cold and end right then. Just as an oil lamp burns in dependence on wick and oil, from the termination of wick and oil, it would be un, unnourished and cease. In this same manner, when a wise Dharma practitioner is feeling a feeling limited to the body, they understand I am sensing a feeling that is limited to this body. When wise Dharma practitioner is feeling a feeling limited to human life, they understand I am sensing a feeling that is limited to this human life. It's just an aspect of life. The wise Dharma practitioner understands that with the ending of life and the breakup of the body, that all that is experienced and not joined to will grow cold and end right then. This is also a reference, and I don't want to go too far afield here. It's also a reference that... Um, these feeling and, and uh, even thoughts can be somehow imposed on us from outside. This is this is the misunderstanding of karma. Um, depends on this, and the the feeling is limited 
here. It's not occurring out there and it's not coming in through some kind of ether network. This is my feeling. I made it. It's up to me what I'm going to do with it. In this manner, when one has the highest determination for understanding, for the knowledge of the arising and passing away of suffering and stress, this one has achieved the greatest noble understanding. Understanding that you're a six-property person. This Dharma practitioner has gained release, release from all views ignorant of four noble truths. Their mind has established right view, now resting in pure truth. This view will no longer fluctuate due to distraction. This one knows whatever is deceptive and remains free from associ associating with deception. This Dhamma practitioner is established with the highest determination for truth. This is the foremost unbinding from wrong views and is the highest noble truth. Formerly, when still ignorant of four noble truths, this Dhamma practitioner, talking about himself, foolishly craved after mental acquisitions and created self-identities clinging to these mental acquisitions. This Dharma practitioner has completely abandoned them. Through the Eightfold Path, this one has cut fabrications at the root of ignorance. Like the stump of a palmyra tree, now deprived of the conditions of sustenance, fabrications will no longer arise. Julie, are you cold? I'm all set now. Okay, well, you could turn the heat up. Yeah, is anybody else cold? She's gonna get my jacket. I'm a little silly. Yeah. <laughs> you want to? We're gonna be another 15, 20 minutes. You want to turn the heat up, David? If you don't mind. <laughs> no, it's, I'm okay. You are okay. I'm All right. Likewise, when still ignorant of four. Thanks, David. Likewise, when still ignorant of four noble truths, this Dharma practitioner foolishly was driven by desire and self-infatuation, by ill will and hatred. He's talking about himself. By delusion and ignorance and created self-identities clinging to these unskillful qualities. Now this Dharma practitioner has completely abandoned them. Through the Eightfold Path, this one has cut fabrications off at the root of ignorance. Right? From ignorance of four noble truths come fabrications. Like the stump of a palmyra tree, now deprived of the conditions of sustenance, fabrications will no longer arise. This Dhamma practitioner has established the highest determination for calm, for the calming of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. This one has established the highest noble calm. This Dhamma practitioner knows to never neglect right view, to always guard the truth, and always trained for establishing a calm and well-concentrated mind. This Dhamma practitioner understands where, through wise restraint, the currents of speculation and supposition do not flow. This one is known as a sage at peace. With reference to what I am saying to you, all of the following is speculation. I am. I am this. I will be. I will not be. I will have this form. I will not have this form. I will have psychic powers. I will not have psychic powers. There's still many modern schools that talk about developing psychic powers. That's how you know you're awakening. Buddha said, it's just a game. 
Speculation and supposition are diseases, a cancer, an arrow. By abandoning all speculation and supposition, this Dharma practitioner is known as a sage at peace. A sage at peace is no longer distracted or agitated by birth, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, regret, greed, aversion, or deluded thinking, dukkha. With no distraction or agitation, what would the Dharma practitioner crave for or cling to? This Dharma practitioner understands where the currents of speculation and supposition do not flow. When through wise restraint, the currents of speculation and supposition do not flow. This one is known as a stage of peace. Now, friend Pukasati, you should remember my brief, not so brief though, is it? My brief analysis of the six properties. Then the thought occurred to Venerable Pukasati. Surely the great teacher has come to me. Now he's realizing who's in front of him. Surely the rightly self-awakened one has come to me. Pukasati rose and bowed to the Buddha and said, I was foolish, confused, and unskillful, unskilled to address you merely as, fr as friend. Please accept my apology that I may restrain myself in the future. The Buddha replied, yes, confusion overcame, overcame you, but most important, and most importantly, you have recognized your confusion and in accordance with my Dhamma have made the strong determination to end your confusion. It is just this determination and discipline that one grows in the Dhamma and practices restraint in the future. Great teacher, please accept me into the order to follow your Dhamma. The Buddha asked him, do you have an alms bowl and robes? No, replied Pukasati. Then gather a bowl and robes and I will give you the going forth. And that just means you're now part of the Sangha, the original Sangha. Pukasati was delighted. He bowed to the Buddha and left in search of an alms bowl and roms for his ordination. While searching, a, run a runaway cow trampled and killed Pukasati. See, some people laugh at this. I think it's funny, but it makes a point. <clears throat> Wake up now. Don't wait. So Pukasati and Bahia both ended the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad cows. I guess cows were really dangerous. Well, does anybody notice what Ron made on top of my coffin cover? That's what that is up there. Oh, hope Prince. He was trampled. The cow, cow got him. He so did that out of love for me, I think. That's <laughs> <laughs> just a super. All right, let's A large group from the Sangha found, found the Buddha and told him of Pukasati's demise. This is really important, too. They asked the Buddha what Pukasati what Pukasati's future state would be. Like he should be, where's he going? Friends, Pukasati was wise. He practiced the Dhamma in accordance with my instruction. This is the best part coming up. He never pestered me with unrelated issues. He has abandoned the five fetters of self-identification, grasping at rituals and practices, doubt and uncertainty, sensual craving, and deluded thinking. He is now free of fabricated views and will never again be subject to suffering born of ignorance. Those that were gathered at the Buddha's words were delighted. That's the end of today's little bit long sutta. Thank you all for listening. I hope you found it as inspiring as I do. Um, and we don't have a, a lot of time to, it's 10 minutes to 10, we don't have a lot of time to talk. Um, but consider this, you know, this is what we are. This is an important teaching. 
as they all are. Um, but um, we can do one of two things. We can go around the room very quickly. You know, give you yourself a, how many people here? 15, give yourself a minute or two. Um, do we want to do that or we want to just see who, who has a, in some of the rooms we talk about, who has a burning desire to say something? Option B. Who has a burning desire? No one? Well, I'm going to call on a couple of you if you don't. Rom? <laughs> we got a little time. Um, yeah, this is just such a clarifying just lays it out, brings it down to, to the bare stuff. Mm -hmm. this, this is important. The rest is all supposition. Yeah. I also wanted to mention that I, I, I heard another uh, really interesting lecture the other day from somebody else, not related to Buddhism at all, um, explaining the difference between the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of happiness, mm -hmm. and how that relates to dopamine and serotonin, where dopamine always leads to addiction. Mm -hmm. leads to contentment. I found that such a nice yeah. way. Of, and again, we're, we're looking at the body here and, and <clears throat> how, it, uh, how it functions. Yeah, and there's certainly a physiological see, effect. Right. To see where, you know, where the Buddha hammers on craving being, you know, the ultimate trap. And then the train for calm. Yeah. Train only for Thank you, Rob. Cody, you have anything you'd like to say? Um, there's so much there that I really don't understand. I think I'll just take noble silence. Okay. If you have any questions, give me a call. Yeah. But this this is something, you know, for us to consider and think about and incorporate as we go along. It's not something that maybe you, you had an instant understanding, but you know, it's also maybe a little bit of a jolt to the system to think of ourselves as just a six-property person. But again, it doesn't mean that we don't do wonderful things with that six properties. We just don't take it personally. We understand this, right, Jen? Yeah. Uh, I was actually thinking about how um, I initially, you know, when I was in out of high school, I went into college for medicine. I didn't want to be a doctor, but I went in for something called medical technology is because I wanted to understand the body and how it works. Because even as like an early teenager, I was always terrified of like disease and dying and, and just, I just had this obsession with it. And Somehow, like this sutta, you know, it resolves that in a way that is in what is occurring. Um, but because it's framed by the Eightfold Path, it really leads to true unbinding. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, if you're just going into, like, trying, you know, trying to understand what 
fire and, and air and all that stuff really is like you can just get lost in that as well yeah. rather than bringing it back to just this is what's occurring so that you can really let it go and come back to moment by moment experience yeah thank you all those long descriptions of the earth and the fire etc uh, and even the what's going on inside the body is just to point to the impermanence of all of those things. It's just really it's just a reminder over and over again of all of this is impermanent. Even this, you know, the six property person is impermanent. Uh, Brian, what do you think, Mr. COVID? I think I think Mary's had her hand up for a while. I'll let her go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, Mary. Hey, John. Um, I just wanted to quickly say that, you know, very simply, many of us came because of some sense of uncertainty or suffering, and we were looking for something and looking for answers and looking for less suffering. And this is a sutta that reminds us that this is not me, you know, that all these properties are us and everything that is not one of these properties is not us. And those are the things that we get caught up into, that we cling to. And so it's not about the words or understanding and memorizing these six properties and all this sort of thing. It's just another nuance of a deep dive that says, this is what we are, this is what we are not. The things we cling to that we are not are what are driving our suffering and therefore not bringing us calm. So understanding what we are and accepting that in a very positive way, not a sad way of, oh my God, this is all we are. It's a fact, this is what oh, we yeah. are. And it's therefore, great. the clearer we understand that, the easier, sometimes it's hard for people to let go of things they brought into this program with them, right? Well, the letting yeah. go is the pivot to here's what we are, Here's what we are not. When you find yourself over here with what we are not, recognize that you're causing your suffering, come back to what's over here in order to find that peace and that contentment in your mind. We can add a lot of layers of complexity to this. And I think this is an example of the simplicity, not the ease of adapting to all this or adopting all these concepts, but that's the simplicity of it. So thank you. Thank you, Mary. Uh, Brian. Yeah, uh, stop chasing phenomena. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anybody else with a burning desire? I still want to hear from one or two more people. Is that your hand, Julia? Hello, Julia. Good morning. Thank you for the teaching. I think sometimes something as simple as stop chasing phenomena, like that's a very simple, profound statement but what that translates to in real life, in so many different areas of your life, you know, every minute yeah, we're every... making choices about something or other. Yep. And um, planning something or other, or relating to some people or some information or other. And I think being able to apply this teaching actively in all of those facets of what it means to be a human is 
a very, you know, it's just, it, I think it's, it's really helpful. So I really appreciated this teaching. I did too. I appreciated the teaching. Thank you, Julia. Anybody else? Just to, Raquel, I wanted to call on you, but it's getting, you know. Thank you for teaching me. Everybody's input is so um, relevant. Um, so this teaching today is very uh, important to me to remind me to keep practicing because I passed uh, weeks of you know, lots of things going on in my life. I have been um, constantly bombarded by the, no matter how much I practice meditation, bombarded by the fabrication of negative thoughts. And I was thinking, why not fabrication of positive thoughts instead? But it, it keeps coming and sometimes it's overwhelming. I, I cannot control, you know. Sometimes even the practice are difficult to focus on. So, this teaching is very important to reflect on. Yeah, please, Jen. Um, Thank you, Raquel. So, that's great <laughs> that you're seeing this fabrication. That's the practice. There's negative fabrications coming out of you. Practice says recognize, but it doesn't say. Recognize and make them stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. We have such good Dhamma teachers here. <clears throat> Anybody else? I keep wanting to hear. I want, I want to hear from everybody. <laughs> Strictly on a on an administrative perspective, I find the discussions really helpful. And I wonder, you know, when I started, we did twenty minutes, and the sangha has. And I, for me personally, I find that this is not the right forum to discuss this, let me know. But oh, good. I do find the additional 10 minutes of discussion where we don't feel like we're rushing to get out of here for 10 o'clock more beneficial than the 10 minutes of additional meditation. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. Um, well, maybe one thing we could talk about, are we rushing to get out of here at 10 o'clock? I mean, that's kind of in my mind. I don't you know, an hour and a half. And most of our classes don't go beyond an hour and a half anyway. But this was a long sutta. But I said, I mean, well, how do you, let's just have a quick discussion. How do you all feel about ending at 10.10 or 10.15? I, I agree with what you said. What we hear from each other is after the comments. It's, it's very helpful. John, can I make a suggestion? Sure. Just, you, could, you could just say at 10 o'clock if anybody has to go, please leave. Or, you know, please feel free because we're going to continue on the discussion. All right. Well, I, and if, if, if that's what, if you're somebody who's going to get up at 10 o'clock and leave, will you feel? Then you feel like you missed part of the discussion. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's. Well, you can always, yeah, it'll be recorded so you can always pick up on that. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's, let's, you know. No, I, I understand. One of the reasons we used to have a, when we first started, we used to, they remember better that on Saturday mornings, we sat for 30 minutes because the thinking was that we weren't tired and wanting to go home. Tuesday night, we had a 20 minute sit. Um, and then for some reason, I can't remember why we changed both sits to 20. I think it might have had to do with COVID or something. I don't remember. Um, John, we changed, we changed yeah. Tuesday night because of winter. 
winter and winter weather. In Is that, that right? Party. That's my recollection that we wanted to make sure it was only 20 minutes so no one was feeling uncomfortable that, okay, now I have to drive home in the pitch dark and might be icy weather. So that was part of the consideration, more seasonal, as I recall. All right. Um, there was a lot of discussion among, mostly among our teachers, but a few of your students also about uh, sitting for 30 minutes here um, for a few reasons. I think all of you or some of some of you, probably the right way to say it, feel more uh, comfortable meditating for longer periods here than you do at home. And so this is a good way to get, and you know, we're doing here, it's a class, learn that you can sit for 30 minutes, even if you need the group to do it at one point, you'll be able to develop it. So we're encouraging you to develop jhana. I mean, this is, this is the foundation of our practice, so it's very important. Um, and then maybe we'll just use Mary's suggestion that it, it, I'll announce that it's 10 o'clock or on Tuesday nights, whatever that uh, quarter in line would be an hour and a half, I guess, something like that. Um, and, you know, you can you can leave then if you need to get out of here or and listen to the tape. It's always there. Cody? Um, yeah, I was just going to say um, I value... I value the the 30 minute sit because I, I don't have an opportunity to do that at home. I find it really um, helpful. Um, I also really value the conversation yeah. and the sutta, uh, but I wonder if there's just a way to structure the sutta, like maybe we just need to split it up into two parts so that we keep it. Some of the suttas I do, yeah. um, but they also lend themselves. This one, you, you just lose too much to go from one class to, to and break it up that way. Personally, for me, um, I mean, last Saturday, I, I stood around outside the building and chatted for a half an hour afterwards. So yeah. like, I don't have anywhere to be, but yeah. uh, I, I don't know that. Yeah, if that, if that doesn't yeah I, and that's also something everybody. to keep in mind. You can reach out to anyone at any time and continue with specific questions and the concerns and mm. maybe it's not the format here but you know there's eight teachers <laughs> you know i think nine you, isn't there nine you know, anyway well everyone's a teacher so engage well, there's eight and then there's yeah my my, my picture no. fell out i don't I know, know if that's it that's something you know it's <laughs> it's a little bit foreboding Wait, no it didn't <laughs> yeah no that was me that fell off the wall look it made a big crack yeah wow <laughs> Did it really? Is a crack up there? No. no I think <laughs> you know, the other the other thing, um, we, this is a great opportunity that we have here, um, and I understand that if you're if you're really busy and you got to get out of here, you know, leave at ten o'clock. But you know that most of us are having, I think we're having fun, so I think we'll do that. It, at, if, if we're going past an hour and a half, I'll announce it and you can leave if you need to or want to. Um, but, you know, we, we don't go that we don't go over that often anyway. But thank you, Zach, for bringing up that. Um, we had a good discussion on it. Um, we're going to hear from. Anybody else in the room? Yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to add that yeah. um, I, I agree with um, Cody. Um, on like Saturday mornings lend themselves to um, 
you know, uh, be more relaxed, you know, just be uh, having longer, longer discussions. It's just such a natural uh, thing as opposed to being here, mm. at, you know, at night and it's late on the, on the weekday, right? So everybody just wants to, you know, they to. Yeah, I think we'll be more mindful of it on Tuesday nights, but also I could, when I have a long sutta, you know, I know that I know how long it takes to teach the sutta. That in my mind, maybe I'll say, okay, this today we'll do a 20 minute sit. So that's a, a good suggestion, Zach. Yeah. I just hope I remember to do it, <laughs> Becky. I like, I like that last suggestion, John. Yeah. Um, brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> really brilliant. Um, I don't like how you said that. <laughs> Sorry. No, the thing, the thing is that I think really everybody is just about saying the same thing, that, that the 30-minute sit on Saturday mornings is really nice. I like that. Um, but I think if the Suda, like today, you said, I'm not going to call on everybody. And I was a little disappointed when you said that. And you said that I was too. we were always at, well, almost out of time and you felt like we needed to. But so I think that cutting short the the discussion um, is not the way to go. <laughs> I agree. I, I agree completely. I don't like doing it. I never did when I have done it. Yeah. I think that's just because we're responding to the the hey, we're trying to get out of here. At 10. I don't. I think if there's the expectation that we're not, yeah, then yeah, so we're good. Yeah, so. Keep in mind, I think, like, next Saturday's class, I know it's probably going to run to noon or so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think if, if somebody, um, you know, if there's somebody here that, that is really inspired by the the sutta or, or feels the need to, to share before, you know, they if they also feel the need to leave at 10, then, like, I guess, I mean, given giving that person the opportunity to speak up. Yeah. yeah. Well, you all do with Ron. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know that Ron needs to leave at yeah. 10 on Saturdays. Yeah. He's got, he's going to work. So I always, uh, when I think of it. What so, else you got, mom? I feel like you got notes. Well, I have notes. <laughs> I, I really, I really enjoyed listening to this sutta. I, I felt like I got a lot of, um, I internalized a lot of things that in the past have been confusing. I think it's just because where of where I am that I was able to do that. Um, and I just came to like my final statement after listening to all that is a mind established in equanimity is present with no self-referential views. And one thing that has always sustained my understanding is the statement, don't take it personally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that puts me, almost really moves me toward right view all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, But it's a, it's a, it's a concentration that you really have to maintain through jhana. Yep. And once you, I mean, and that's all it is, but it's not 
easy to do. Mm -hmm. It's not easy mm -hmm. because you condition your mind for your whole life to do something else. And so this this sutta just even even reading every little all of the eighteen choices. Mm -hmm. Each time gives you a, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, information about how not to take it personally yeah. or what does it mean. It doesn't mean you're not living your life. It means you're living your life with calm and you're allowing your life to happen without getting in the way of it, without <laughs> getting in your own way. Getting in your own way. Yeah. So, okay. That's all I have to say. That's now 10.15. Okay. I, I, I do. I really like one of the things that was most one of the things that was most impressive about what you said is how Jen helped finish it. <laughs> you said something about a, a, a con, because of your conditioning, it's not easy. But it's it, again, it's only seems difficult because we make it difficult. And often because it's difficult, we find all kinds of reasons to not go there. Right. You know, and this is this suit is saying it's not that difficult. This is there's a lot here, but look at what you are. We all we so we want everybody has spoken except two people briefly. Uh, <laughs> Dr. I Kevin, just, I'm sorry, can I just say that day you're one of the teachers? No, yes, she is. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Thank Kevin, good morning. I'll give Hi. you a minute. <laughs> a minute. Um, I just <laughs> Um, today is like my, I've completed seven years of, um, with you. Wow. So, hey, um, and I woke, something. I woke this morning to discover that I had Finally! <laughs> I, um, and you know, um, thank you for the teaching and always, um, I still have far to go in the more recent times. I feel like I have an even more agitated mind. And eye making is taking over, lots of clinging. Um, but the suttas and the path will help bring that calm back. And, uh, yeah. Hopefully, I'll have that breakthrough one of these days. So, thank you. Thank, thank you, you Kevin. 58, 58 seconds. Very good. Last but not Jesus. last but not least, <laughs> least David. This suit is a description. Human being is distraction and obsession with your own thoughts. Yeah. This is right view. That's the insight. That's this is what you do this for is that insight that what is seen is just seen. What is felt is just felt. Mm -hmm. You're living your life. You're still making decisions. You're still making arguments with your five-year-old. You're, you're still living your life you're not taking it personal so you have that restraint to say this is not worth going there and you have that space mm -hmm. and that's what yeah. it builds that's right view that's all this is yeah yeah and stop arguing with your five-year-old yes. he's just a six-property kid tell, tell me how to live my life <laughs> all right all right all right let's get out we're all having too much fun now let's get out of here we got things to do uh, we'll finish with thank you all for a wonderful uh, participation. <laughs> <laughs>
this is what it's done by one of those golden gooders who knows the better people. Let me see if I can do it. Let's just take a few more minutes together. Take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta. From the Karaniya Metta Sutta, changed a little bit by me, describing uh, the qualities of an awakened human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. The great or might or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, having completed the path, does not give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Thank you for listening. If you find benefit here and to learn more about the Buddha's Dhamma, please support the continuing restoration and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Peace and calm.